Welcome back to another episode of the Unfounded Podcast, everyone. How you doing? I hope you're doing well. Hope you're staying safe, staying healthy. And uh, for those of you in states who are opening back up, congratulations. <laughs> I am not one of them. Uh, my county decided to be fantastic. They sent it to the 8th, so... I'm a little disappointed about that, but like I said, I hope that you are out there enjoying yourself, uh, maybe going out to eat or something like that. Um, anyways, uh, rolling right into it, I got a couple announcements real quick. Um, I will be out of town for the next week or so after this. I'm leaving tomorrow, and I'll be back thinking about Wednesday or so next week, so um, won't be any episodes coming out for those six or seven days. Uh, this will be the last one before then, but wanted to give you a heads up on that so you're not looking for them. And uh, thank you for the support, guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks for the likes, shares, and subscribes. Please continue to do so if you find this valuable. Uh, If you know somebody that may may enjoy it as well, please share it with them. Uh, I want to get this in front of as many people that enjoy it as possible. All right. So, um, all right. So, we're really right into it today. uh, It's going to be a little different than what we were talking about the last couple episodes. You know, I've been uh, studying the Morphic Resonance Principle and Rupert Sheldrake and talking about that quite a bit. And I'm still working through his book. I'm going to try to finish it on my drive uh, to Phoenix. That's where I'm going. I'm going to visit my parents and uh, my my buddy out in Vegas as well. So um, buddies in Vegas, actually. So excuse me. Um, so that's what I'm doing. Uh, but on the drive out there, it's a long drive. It's like a 12 or 14 hour drive. So I plan to knock out a couple of those books on that drive as well. I've already gotten a little bit through them, but uh, I want to do a little more reading on that subject. I've just fascinated by and I hope you are as well I hope it's been an interesting subject to follow but for today's episode uh, I want to kind of switch things up a little bit and uh, what I want to do is kind of uh, I want to play with this idea of the uh, the Ten Commandments and the Seven Deadly Sins now um, this is obviously going to be a more spiritual talk uh, right off the bat right um, but the reason I, I want to focus on on the seven deadly sins, uh, at least, is, is really where it's stemming from. Um, I don't know yet, but we're going to find out because I think there's, there's some kind of value <laughs> uh, in there. Um, I want to kind of pull apart the seven deadly sins, analyze each one, and apply them in a modern context and see how it applies to our modern world. Um, anyway, the idea struck me uh, when I was thinking about if you had to pick one sin in the, the Christian tradition or the Catholic tradition, what sin would it be? Would be the most popular sin modern day? Excuse me, I just pulled my headphones out again. I do that a lot because I like to fidget. One of those people that like talk with their hands a lot. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, so I tend to pull on accident, pull out the headphones anyway. Back in. All right, so we're good to go. Um, but I was trying to think about, I was, I was sitting there uh, today and I, I dropped my car off. I'm getting my winter tires changed back over to my summer tires before I do the drive. And sitting there thinking or walking back thinking, and I'm like, you know, what, what if there was one sin that defined modern humanity, what would it be? And the one that popped in my head right away was gluttony. Now, let's pull back a little bit. I want to go first. I want to kind of set up the seven deadly sins give you a little bit of context and history and how they relate to the Ten Commandments, that kind of thing. So anyway, um, this is just right off of Google. I typed in the origin of the seven deadly sins, right? I'm going to pull up the Wikipedia page here and I'll read it for you. So the seven deadly sins, also known as the capital vices or cardinal sins, is a grouping and classification of vices within Christian teachings. Although it does not appear explicitly in the Bible, Behaviors or habits are classified under this category if they directly give birth to other immoralities. So these are like the the distilled sins, essentially. According to the standard list, they are pride, greed, lust, envy, gluttony, wrath, and sloth. 
which are also contrary to the seven heavenly virtues. I had not heard about that. We're going to have to pull that up and read that later. Um, These sins are often thought to be abuses or excessive versions of one's natural faculties or passions. For example, gluttony abuses one's desire to eat, to consume. Uh, Going on, this classification originated with the Desert Fathers, especially Evagrius Ponticus. I've not heard of him before. Let's pull him up as well. Also called Evagrius the Solitary, was a Christian monk and ascetic, one of the most influential theologians in the late 4th century church, since 300 AD. Uh, He was well known as a thinker, polished speaker, and gifted writer. He left a promising ecclesiastical career. (laughs) That is a hard word, ecclesiastical. I don't know if you've ever done that one. Anyway, um, who identified seven or eight evil thoughts or spirits that one needed to overcome. Evagrius' pupil, Evagrius's pupil, John Cassian. Let's see what he's all about. John Cassian, also known as John the Ascetic and John Cassian the Roman, was a Christian monk and theologian celebrated in both the Western and Eastern churches for his mystical writings. Cassian is noted for his role in bringing the ideas and practices of Christianity. They stopped there, sorry. <laughs> I just have these little excerpts that are popping up when I roll over their name and it, it stopped. We'll, we'll continue on. Um, Evagrius's pupil, John Cassian, with his book, The Institutes, brought the classification to Europe, where it became fundamental to Catholic confessional practices as evident in penitential manuals, sermons like Parson's Tale from Chaucer's Canterbury Tales, and artworks like Dante's Purgatory, everybody knows Dante's Inferno, right, where there's another Dante's Purgatory, where the penitents of Mount Purgatory are depicted as being grouped and penanced according to the worst capital sin they committed. And the Catholic Church used the concept of the deadly sins in order to help people curb their inclination towards evil before dire consequences and misdeeds could occur. The leader teachers especially focused on pride, which is thought to be the sin that severs the soul from grace. That's interesting. Pride. Ooh, that's that's so interesting. I'm curious if if you're putting together why yet. We'll we'll come back to that. Pride. (laughs) Hold on. I gotta, like, yeah, okay. Let me highlight that. Um... And the one that is representative and the very essence of all evil. (laughs) I agree. And greed. Uh, Both of which are seen as inherently sinful and as underlying all other sins to be prevented. To inspire people to focus on the seven deadly sins, the vices are discussed in treatises and depicted in paintings and sculpture decorations on Catholic churches as well as older textbooks. So I find this absolutely fascinating. uh, Mainly because the seven deadly sins, the idea of the cardinal sins as you we just put together was not originally part of the bible it doesn't it, it wasn't in it's not in the bible you're not going to find it in the bible you'll find the 10 commandments in the bible but you're not going to find the seven deadly sins or the capital vices the cardinal sins whatever you want to refer to them as now i didn't know in this as well that apparently there are seven heavenly virtues let's go ahead and read those real quick before we continue on with the seven deadly sins um all right so The Catechism of the Catholic Church defines virtue as a habitual and firm disposition to do the good. Traditionally, the seven Christian virtues, or heavenly virtues, combine the four classical cardinal virtues of prudence, justice, temperance, and courage, with the three theological virtues of faith, hope, and charity. These were adopted by the Church Fathers as the seven virtues. Cardinal virtues. The Greek philosophers Aristotle and Plato regarded the temperance, wisdom, justice, and courage as the four most desirable character traits. The Book of Wisdom is one of the seven s- sapiental 
Some of these words are ridiculously hard to pronounce. Sapien, sapiential. It's a wisdom literature. It's a genre of literature common in the ancient Near East. This is really cool, by the way. Also, like I love that on Wikipedia, if you just like wrote, like put your cursor on top of any highlighted word, it'll define it for you. That's pretty awesome. Um, it's one of the seven sapiential books included in the Septuagint. I can't pronounce these. I'm very sorry. I'm going to just continue on. So like I said, it's it's four basic. Uh, the, the cardinal virtues are four basic virtues, prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance. And those are combined with uh, the theological virtues of faith, hope, and charity. And those form the seven Christian virtues or heavenly virtues. All right. So. Okay, so and then this is very seven virtues and the seven capital sins. So this this puts uh, like I said, I'll put all this up for you so you can look at look yourself. Um, but this puts each virtue with its like associated opposite sin, right? Um, so chastity is a virtue in this, and it 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 lists uh, lust as the opposite of chastity. Makes sense. Uh, temperance goes with gluttony. Charity goes with greed. Diligence goes with sloth. Patience goes with wrath. Kindness goes with envy, and humility goes with pride. All right. So, setting that up, what I want to do, and I'm going to start it with this episode, and we'll kind of continue on um, going down this, but we're going to try to look at each of these virtues, um, not only the virtues but also the the sins, right? And uh, we're gonna we're gonna study them a little bit and try to apply them to a modern context, see what we can pull out of there. Okay. Um, so for this one, I'm gonna just I'm gonna use this Wikipedia page as a resource because it kind of lists everything in order, and we'll just go in order. Uh, actually, no, we won't because I, I was already thinking about gluttony. Let's do gluttony. <laughs> um, so gluttony. Gluttony is the overindulgence and overconsumption of anything to the point of waste. The word derives from the Latin glutir, meaning to gulp down or swallow. In Christianity, it is considered a sin if the excessive desire for food causes it to be withheld from the needy. Because of these scripts, gluttony can be interpreted as selfishness, essentially placing concern with one's own impulses or interests above the well-being or interests of others. During times of famine, war, and similar periods when food is scarce, it is possible for one to directly or indirectly kill other people through starvation just by eating too much or even too soon. Medieval church leaders, Thomas Aquinas, took a more expensive view of gluttony, arguing that it could, be also, that it could also include an obsessive anticipation of meals and the constant eating of delicacies and excessively costly foods. Aquinas went so far as to prepare a list of five ways to commit gluttony comprising lot, which means eating too expensively, studios, meaning eating too daintily, nimis, meaning eating too much, prepropir, which means eating too soon, and ardenter, meaning eating too eagerly. Hmm, that's, I think that's absolutely fascinating. Of these, ardenter is often considered the most serious, since it is extreme attachment to the pleasure of mere eating, which can come which can make the committer eat impulsively, absolutely and without qualification, live merely to eat and drink, lose attachment to health-related, social, intellectual, and spiritual pleasures, and lose proper judgment. An example is a sow selling his birth birthright for ordinary food of bread and pottage of lentils. I believe this is a biblical reference. Uh, his punishment was that of the profane version who, for a morsel of meat, sold his birthright. Anyway, we're going to continue on. That doesn't make any sense in the context. Anyway, um, probably does. I just it didn't make sense when I wrote it. So... <clears throat> read it i mean um so 
Uh, gluttony. Now, you can obviously, I'm sure as I've been reading, I know there's a lot of reading to start off the episode, guys. Sorry about that. I'll try to limit that as much as I can. Um, but I wanted to read out the definition so we're all on the same page, get the setup properly, right? So gluttony. Um, obviously, I think, and this is why I brought it up, and I think this is why we're talking about it right now, that of the seven deadly sins that we've just established, gluttony is the one that is the most prevalent within the modern our modern society. I might be wrong about this. We might find uh, that one of these other seven deadly sins as we go through them in the future is more, more relevant or prevalent. But this is what I think going into this, right? Into this study that we're going into. Excuse me. I view much of our modern society as gluttonous to an astonishing level, right? When you think about the modern condition... Excess is encouraged. I believe this might also be, this is related to, it's, I think it's very, very tightly tied to capitalism. And I'm going to be critical of capitalism in this talk, it looks like. Um, know that, that that does not mean that I'm trying to argue for, let's say, a planned economy or something like that. I, I'm not. Uh, I'm simply trying to point out the shortcomings of the, one, the system we currently have uh, so that maybe we can try to streamline it in the future <laughs> if that makes sense all right there's many positives i think one of sorry for i think one of the things that's most brilliant about the cap, a capitalist system is it's an in many ways its ideal form in its ideal form it is a natural system meaning that it mirrors as far as we know, the natural world, the survival structure, right? So, if you if you are more readily of you are more well equipped to produce something of value in our economy, you're going to be rewarded for that, and you're going to be you know placed in a position of higher power, or, you know, which usually comes with higher monetary reward, right? You move up this ladder, this creates this hierarchy, and. In many ways, I think the capitalist system has traded, excuse me, somebody's calling me, um, has traded away, it switched out the, the, the standard survival hierarchy. So like the, the you know, the, the, what do they call it in the, the food chain? You know, the, you know, we've escaped the food chain as human beings, right? We no longer play in that. We're no longer, you know, constantly fighting for survival every day. We've escaped that. And because of that, I think we've created a system that mirrors it. The capitalism itself, it's its a survival system uh, without... It's a... I'm trying to think of the word right now. I'm sorry, guys. It's like a, it's like a faux survival system hierarchy it, 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 I, I can't think of the freaking word right now I'm sorry it's, it's very frustrating me but the, it's a facade <laughs> you know what I mean it's a, it's a fake version of the system that we've played for most of our of humanity's existence right that's it, what it is sorry hold on one second guys I've got people calling me and stuff um, and Because of that, we, we we recognize something about like our humanity's inbuilt need to survive, and so we've leveraged that, and and 
in a, in a, in a hierarchy that switches out actual survival for monetary gain. That's what I'm trying to get out, right? So this, this economy that we've built is, is essentially the survival game with lower stakes. <laughs> you know what I mean? If you get what I'm saying. And I think that's partially why the system's so attractive, right? Is because it mirrors the natural system, the natural hierarchy of survival within that's built into nature itself. And so there's something natural about, you know, an, uh, an uncontrolled capitalist economy. The problem is, is in order for it to work properly or to, to work sustainably, you have to have good actors within that system, right? Uh, actors that are willing to work for the benefit of the whole rather than just the benefit of the individual, which is kind of the opposite message that you're being presented politically, where politically in the United States, at least in the Western world, you're being told that the individual is a sole point of focus, that you should focus on yourself for development, individual development. I think part of the problem is, is when you have a capitalist economy telling, uh, telling you, you know, like, survive, survive, survive. And then you have a political system that's telling you focus on yourself with neither of them, you know, solidifying some way to control people's ethical and moral, moral impulses. What evolves is a system that is immoral and filled with sinful behavior. Now, I think this is partially one of the reasons why gluttony has become I feel like all of these sins if you were to ask if you were to try to apply them to yourself like ask yourself am I a gluttonous person yeah. almost instantaneously your reaction is going to be no I'm not because you, you attach that with a bad person right I'm not a bad person but relative to most people throughout human history there has never been a more gluttonous society than the Western world, period. Now, it's produced a lot of good things, too, which is confusing. You know, when, you know, we, we looked up these seven virtues as well. The one that, that is opposite gluttony is temperance. Now, one of the things, let me read that. Temperance is the modern use in its modern use is defined as moderation or voluntary self-restraint. It is typically described in terms of what an individual voluntarily refrains from doing. This includes restraint from retaliation in the form of nonviolence and forgiveness, restraint from arrogance in the form of humility and modesty, restraint from excesses such as extravagant luxury or splurging now in the form of prudence and restraint, restraint from excessive anger or craving for something in the form of calmness and self-control. Okay. One of the things that can come out of a system that has doesn't properly rec properly recognize the in the motivations of people. If you create a natural system, like we tell you, if you try to mimic a natural system, like the like the the food chain itself in nature. It assumes that the system you're creating is also going to have all of the other natural intricacies working for it that nature does to, to, to produce a balance. It assumes that you know how to maintain a balance, and I, I don't think we do. And I think that's kind of why 
something like our economy has produced this type of behavior because we don't understand how to focus on the individual while also working for the collective. How do you combine those two ideas? Because they're opposites. You know what I mean? Do you play? Because it's very dangerous to, to do only one. It's very dangerous to only focus on yourself. And it's very dangerous to only place yourself in the collective. You do either of those and you're headed down a really dangerous path. The one on the right is a path to selfishness, so, and, and sociopathy, psychopathy. I mean, that's a, that's the path to lunacy. I think, focusing only on yourself and 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 this and how you can be benefited, how everybody else can benefit you. Focus on that for long enough, and you'll drive yourself insane. The or or mad or, or into a maniac, right? Um, focus on you being nothing, the collective being the only purpose, you being a part of this collective. And it's also very dangerous because what you also do when you do that, when you take yourself out of yourself and you place it into a bigger idea, that's me now. I'm now the SJW, right? I'm, I'm now the activist. I'm now the, uh, you're placing yourself in that. It relieves you of the responsibility of your action because your action is now part of the group. And so it allows you to do whatever the group directs, which is how you get people to do the worst things in humanity's history. <laughs> you know what I mean? This is that group thing. This is that, you know, this is how you get people to do really horrible shit, right? So either of those are not good. What we need is a balance. We, what we need is this focus on the individual that somehow leverages the best in each individual person, which is kind of, uh, when that person is, when that person's vector is aligned with society, as a whole, when everybody's individual vector kind of points in the direction society is pointing or the, 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 the community or culture is pointing, right? It's like it all aligns, but each individual one, you know, has its own uniqueness that it brings to the equation. I think that's, that's kind of the idea that we need to kind of focus on. But this, this, this gluttonous way we lead our lives, this overindulging, this overconsuming, this focusing on the next meal, for instance, many of you, this is a really good way to, to find it in yourself is like, you know, what do you when, you, when you're having a, when you're in the middle of the grind, you know, and you're just doing day over day over day over day, and it feels like it's endless, and you're just coming home doing the same thing over and over, and over what do you look forward to? A lot of times it's going to be just the meals. You'll start to, you'll start to just look forward to just eating because it's like something I can enjoy. It's like the only thing I can enjoy in my day is the eating part. Well, that's, it's good that you're appreciating something in your day, but it's also a gluttonous behavior. If you let that go too far, you're gonna lead to some problems. It's a sinful thing to do because it leads down a sinful road. It leads you focusing on yourself, focusing on pleasure as a source of happiness. And then if you focus on pleasure as a source of happiness, you'll search for happiness through pleasure. If you do that too long, you'll realize that it's not sustainable. Don't ask any rock, like any any star, any celebrity. Period. That's that's you know lived the fast life, if they're alive still, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, really, really dangerous path. But I think it's a, this is this our gluttonous behavior, at least in the Western world, in the modern context, has led us to this path, to this this place where we encourage it. You know, we're not even self-critical. We've deleted the institutions, like the religious institutions that, that give you this message that say, that, hey, that's a bad thing to do. 
you know, so, you know, and obviously everybody wants to go eat the entire cake in one sitting, you know what I mean? Everybody wants to go and have every single dinner be a steak and baked potato, you know what I mean? Everybody wants that. And so if you allow people to question an institution like the church, you know, an authority figure like the church and, and say like, hey, well, yeah, is, is it really that bad to be gluttonous? If you allow that kind of questioning to happen too long or to undermine, if you, if you allow other institutions to undermine the legitimacy of the church itself, then those things hold no weight anymore. Whatever the church says, hey, don't, don't act in a gluttonous way. People are going to be like, yeah, whatever. You did this. You, you were wrong in this. So you know what? Baby with the bathwater. Out you go. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, 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 no. Because it allows people to not only do you continue to act in a gluttonous way, for example, but you double down on it almost in a vindictive way because you're it's it's you know like when you're a kid and your parent tells you to not do something and then you know let's say um let's say you're a kid and your parent tells you to not do something and then you see your parent doing the same thing they told you not to do right or um that's not a good example maybe um your parent tells you not you're, yeah, I think that's a good example. Your parent tells you not to do something and then you see them doing the same thing. Something trivial, right? It undermines their legitimacy. That's my point. It's, I'm not saying, you know, there's a ways to undermine institutions or authority figures' legitimacy. Once it's undermined, it's very hard to gain back because the person that, that was listening to or looking to them as a figure of power and respect and authority uh, no longer can do that. And then they'll start to call into question everything else that you've told them as well. You know, so for example, the church, if the church has been, I think one of the biggest things for the Catholic faith, at least has been, you know, all of the controversy surrounding in the modern day, at least the surrounding, uh, priests and, and, you know, um, molestation accusations and stuff. I think this has caused a lot of mistrust within the Catholic church specifically as well. It also has called, caused people to question all of these things that I'm bringing up. I think all of the things that the church tells you. Because it's like you're a hypocrite. How do you allow this kind of stuff to happen under your watch when it's some of the most sinful behavior you can imagine? How am I, you know, are sins a thing, period? You know what I mean? And that's that's kind of the, the line of thinking that we've gone down. Well, it's not well-founded. It's a baby with the bathwater scenario. And if you look into the modern world, you'll see examples everywhere of gluttonous behavior. You know what I mean? One of the best examples is people running out and grabbing toilet paper when things start to get bad. You know, that's a a gluttonous thing to do. You know, it's it's not a need. It's a want. But you have acted so long in in that comfort that it now has you have started to associate as a need. You start to see how you grow. Your needs will grow if you stop if you don't properly identify what is a need. There's very few things you need, very, very, very few, and they don't change. <laughs> you know what I mean? You don't add things onto that list. If you're adding things you need, you're growing. Your idea of you is growing. You're getting fat in ideas. You know what I mean? Literally, you're freaking growing. And you let that idea play out long enough, what you turn into is this like unquenchable monster that just devours, 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 devours. And you can see, you can see examples of these people everywhere where it's like, they're unhappy, right? They'll go out into the world. They're unhappy. You know, they have everything you could possibly imagine around them. They've got all the the cars, the TVs, the, you know, the house, the whatever, you know, right? Like all the fancy shit and every single day or every single weekend, they're going out and buying something new fancy. And they always have to tell you about it too. It's like, Hey, look what I got. Look what I got. Look what I got. Look what I got. 
And he's like, I'm so happy right now. And then four minutes later, they're out doing that same thing again. They're filling that void, that empty void. They're acting in a gluttonous way. It is an empty hole that if you try to continue to chase and feel and fill, you're going to just become more empty. It's going to grow. The hole's going to grow. You become a black hole of consumption. And this is what most people, I think, in the modern Western world are. Black holes of consumption that just swallow. What did they say? Gulp or gulp down or swallow? Yeah, glutier. It's a good way of describing the modern human condition. That's what we do. Just consume, 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 consume. That needs to stop, and I think it might have to stop. It might be forced to stop through a lot of suffering. You know what I mean? If this economy, like we're seeing, doesn't turn on as quickly as we've been postulating. It doesn't look like it's going to, right? I don't think it is either. You've started to see articles of people, you know, like the states that are opening back up. People aren't going back out very quickly. I read an article the other day. I can't remember where it's from. So, you know, I am kind of uh, paraphrasing in this, but it was something to the effect of people are not going to go out to these restaurants until they have a vaccine. That's what the, that's what the, the article was, it was postulating was that the, the people, when they, when they surveyed people, something like, it was something like 70% of people were not going to go back out to large sporting events, movie theaters, that kind of stuff until the actual vaccine was out. Meaning, yeah, you're not going to, nothing's, nothing's going to open back up real quick. So like I, like I, like I said, you might be forced to not have steak every night or not have whatever it is, you know, you reel in some of this gluttonous behavior, Re- reel yourself in, you know what I mean? I hope we do, because I think this is an important time to look at these kind of, you know, like, like I think this is why we're bringing it up. I think that's why we're talking about it. Let's look at the seven deadly sins. Let's look at the seven, you know, uh, virtues. Let's see how we can apply them in our, in our modern context. And just because these things exist and they're associated with things like Catholicism or Christianity or some kind of religion, period, it doesn't mean you have to abide by every single thing the religion has done in the past. It doesn't mean that. It just means like these are these are still important ideas. If you if you view these ideas and you agree with them, why not apply them in your life? You know, I've been really uh, fascinated with, and I think one of the reasons I'm focusing on gluttony today as well is uh, today. Any of you that follow my Facebook, you may have seen I did a post. I put a post up there, a quote by Marcus Aurelius, and Marcus Aurelius is one of my favorite personal favorite philosophers uh, throughout history. Nietzsche is one of them as well, um, but. Uh, Marcus Aurelius, I, recently I've been getting more interested in him because I feel like there's something about Stoicism, which Marcus Aurelius is one of the most, if not the most famous Stoics in, in uh, historical philosophy. And Marcus Aurelius was also uh, emperor of Rome, right? Which, which is pretty fascinating if you understand the Stoic philosophy. To witness a Stoic philosophy in an individual that has that much power is profound, to watch somebody that has every ability to act in a gluttonous way, but refuses to do so, sets the perfect example, I think, for every single human being that came after him. If you want to learn how to live, go read about Marcus Aurelius. Talk about somebody with honor, respect, dignity, compassion, loyalty, courage, all of the things you want to have as an individual, all of the virtues you want to put yourself together as, he had, and I think the reason he had it is because he could have had everything. He could have acted in the most sinful, lustful way. That what was the what was the Roman emperor that led to the downfall of Rome? Uh, it starts with an N. I can't remember his name. Anyway, there's examples of people in positions of power throughout history, specifically emperors of Rome, that 
Let me look up this guy's name. Sorry, guys. Hold on one second. Um, Nero. That's what I'm thinking of. Everybody knows Nero's name, right? Um, Nero is the exact opposite of what you would consider, what you would describe Marcus Aurelius as. Let me go ahead and read you a little example of, uh, of Nero. Nero is perhaps the best known of the worst emperors. Uh, this is off of thoughtco.com. This is just like one of those lists, top five worst Roman emperors. Um, I will post it for you. Nero is perhaps the best known of the worst of the worst emperors, having allowed his wife and mother to rule for him and then stepping out from their shadows and ultimately having them and others murdered. But this transgression, these, these transgressions go far beyond just that. He was accused of sexual perversions and the murder of many Roman citizens. Nero also confiscated senators' property and severely taxed the people so that he could build his own personal golden home, the Domus Aurea. During Nero's reign, Rome burned for nine days, the cause of which was fiercely debated. Some said that Nero used the fire to clear space for a palace expansion. Jeez. The fire destroyed three of Rome's 14 districts and severely damaged seven others. An artist at heart, Nero was said to be quite skilled at playing the lyre, but whether he played he truly played it while Rome burned is debatable. He was at least involved behind the scenes in some other way, and he blamed the Christians and had many of them executed for Rome's burning. That's very interesting. Why would somebody blame the Christians? <laughs> He's the antithesis of these virtues, and the people that get blamed and punished are the people that are espousing those virtues. Makes sense, right? You'd, you'd understand why Nero would view people that are saying, hey, you're acting sinfully as enemies. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, why you'd want to destroy them. Anyway, uh, the rebuilding of Rome was not without controversies and financial strains, ultimately leading to Nero's death. A conspiracy to assassinate Nero in 65 CE was discovered and thwarted, but the turmoil led the emperor to take on, take an extended tour of Greece. He immersed himself in the arts, took part in the Olympic games and announced feudal projects that didn't address the current state of his homeland. Upon returning to Rome, he neglected to address issues that faced him, and the Praetorian Guard declared Nero as an enemy of the people. He attempted to flee, but no, but knew he wasn't likely to succeed. As such, Nero committed suicide in 68 CE. So, fascinating. Ooh, this is interesting. Right below that, number four. Oh my goodness, this is interesting. So I was just talking about Marcus Aurelius, right? Let's read about Marcus Aurelius' son. There's something fascinating that happens. You know, it's that, it's that old quote, good times, er, hard times produce strong men, strong men produce good times, good times produce weak men. Rinse and repeat. I think there is nothing more true than that statement. You can witness it happening over and over and over again throughout history. Commodus. If you ever watched, um, if you've ever watched Gladiator, it's my favorite movie all, of all time. You will see Marcus Aurelius in this movie. You'll also see Commodus. Commodus is played by Walking Phoenix, right? Commodus is the is the son that murders his father, Marcus Aurelius, right? Marcus Aurelius was the philosopher. The son of Marcus Aurelius, Commodus, was, according to most historians, a debauched and corrupt megalomaniac who viewed himself as a reincarnated Greek god, Hercules, to be exact. <laughs> How? You can see the ego in these people, right? However, Commodus was said to be lazy, leading a life of idle debauchery, 
He surrendered control of the palace to his freed men and Protarian prefects, who then, in turn, sold imperial favors. He devalued the Roman currency, instituting the largest drop in value since Nero's rule. Commodus disgraced his regal status by performing like a slave in the arena, fighting hundreds of exotic animals and horrifying the populace. You see this depicted in Gladiator. He fights in the arena, which is something that was usually way below. Slaves fought in the arena. So for an emperor to fight in the arena, that was a very below, that was below him. Uh performing like a slave in the arena, fighting hundreds of exotic animals and horrifying the populace. It was, in fact, this exact act that led to his demise when Commodus revealed that he intended to celebrate the rebirth of Rome by fighting in the arena on New Year's Day in 193 CE. His mistress and advisors told him to try to talk him out of it. When they weren't successful, Marcia, his mistress, attempted to poison him. (laughs) When the poison failed, Commodus's fitness coach, Narcissus choked him to death the day before. Commodus was assassinated on December 31st, 192 CE. That doesn't mean he's... Why would you choke him to death? Okay, just because it was such a bad look, I guess. That's why he was killed, but he was killed. Okay, so I don't know if Commodus actually murdered Marcus Aurelius, if that was just kind of created in the gladiator as a, uh, you know, cinematic event or something. Um... But what I find interesting about Commodus and about Nero is you can hear uh, both of these individuals, big ego problems, right? (laughs) Massive ego problems. You'll always find that in evil people every single time. And on top of that, you see what I was just talking about, kind of, you know, the good times producing weak men in Commodus, also in Nero, right? And these are also the men that bring down the downfall of those civilizations, those societies. Now, for some reason, this also aligns with moral and ethical ineptitude. The people that end up creating the downfall of, the, at this time, the most powerful civilization or aiding in the downfall of the most powerful civilization to ever exist, longest lasting at least, was moral ineptitude. And there's been a lot of research into this. What was the downfall of Rome? A lot of historians have been trying to figure out pinpoint one, you know, ruler or whatever that led to the downfall of Rome, one decision that was wrong. The best that most can can come up with is it was the direct result of moral and ethical ineptitude. A slow decay of the moral and ethical fabric that tied the society together is what led to the downfall of Rome. Apply that in the modern context. pretty uncomfortable idea right how do you not act in a gluttonous way I think one of the best things to focus on is discipline how do you combat gluttony temperance right is a virtue is the opposite virtue that's listed I think temperance is akin to discipline how do you, how do you, it's the practical, discipline is a practical, practical form of, de, of temperance. How do you apply temperance in your life? You, you act in a disciplined way. You structure your life. You exercise, exercise voluntary self-restraint and moderation. That's how you get away from gluttonous act behavior. That's how we combat that. So I think the be- one of the best ways practically to do it in your life, and you can do it really quick right now, we've talked about it before, structure your day. 
You know what I mean? I posted a video on my Facebook. I'd love for you guys to go watch it after this because it's really inspirational. It'll motivate the hell out of you. Excuse me. And it talks about Marcus Aurelius and kind of what his day looked like as a Roman emperor. And what you'll find is there's probably a lot of similarities to your day as the average citizen, wherever you live, that you can, you can embody the exact same routine if you want to that Marcus Aurelius did. You can apply it and see how it works for you. See how you feel about yourself. See how the people around you respond. You know what I mean? See how your life grows. How happiness comes into your life, not because of gluttonous or unethical behavior, not because you're taking more, but because you're giving more. That's it. Take, 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 take. That's the incentive structure in our modern system. It should be give, 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 give. And with that, I think that's where I'm going to leave it today, guys. Uh, it's a, about 40 minutes in here. Um, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I know it was a little different than what we've done before, um, but uh, I really enjoyed it. I think that there's something here with these uh, seven deadly sins and seven virtues, and I'm going to continue down this uh, down this track of thought. But um, if you have any questions, concerns, comments, please check out my Facebook page, my Twitter page, my Instagram page. Uh, and please like, share, and subscribe. Share it with anybody that you think might enjoy the podcast. Uh, I want to get in, in front of as many people as possible. All righty. Uh, stay safe out there, guys. And like I said, I'll be gone for about a week, but I should be back on here probably about a week from today, if not a little more, if not about a seven days, eight days. All right. Uh, I will talk to you soon. Bye-bye.